0: I need a little bit of participation this morning. I need a $20 bill. Does anybody have $20 on them that I could have? Oh, look at this. I was trying to make predictions to see. Notice I said have, not borrow. (laughs) (laughs) Now I have somebody that will be paying close attention to the whole sermon. That was the point. $20. I've heard, you've probably heard, with the instability of our world and what's going on with banks and digital currency, more people are hanging on to some cash, right? They've got a little bit more cash on hand, but the, the challenge that comes with cash on hand is what do you do to store it? Where do you store your cash? So you could put it in an a envelope under your mattress. Uh, it's not so secure, and it's kind of obvious. You could buy a safe and keep your cash in a safe, but uh, that costs a lot of money. To buy a decent safe and then it's also kind of obvious if people see a safe. So I came across an idea this week. Somebody somebody passed this idea along to me about where to store your cash and I thought I'd share it with you. So the first trick is you have to store it in bills and in $100 bills is preferable because there's fewer of them. And then what you do is you take your bills and you open up the word and you store it. And particularly Leviticus is popular (laughs) because it's the last people... It's the last place people are going to look for cash, okay? Now, it's in here somewhere, and Bill, I'll return it to you. Here you go. (laughs) We laugh and we chuckle, but it's so true. People will not read the Bible often, much less looking at it for truth, looking at it for treasure, looking at it for something of value, And yet, God's word has treasure on every single page. Every single one. Each one, it's more than a $20 bill on each single page. There is treasure there. The psalmist in Psalm 19, not the passage we're studying this morning, but one similar to it, had this to say about that. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. there is great reward. The word's better than treasure. It's better than gold or silver. And living it has great reward. That's what it says right there. So last week I argued from Scripture and showed you that the Bible is a word like no other. It's unique. It's God's words. It's true. It's righteous. It's eternal. Well, this week we're going to continue in Psalm 119 and we're going to see another way in which the word is a word like no other. It's unique. And that's in the blessing that we receive when we live it out. We are blessed when we live according to God's word. We're going to talk about the specifics of those blessings in a moment. But you need to know this. His word is unparalleled in the effect it has on our lives. Psalm 119 verses 1 to 5, the very first five verses say it well. It says there, blessed, or you could insert the word happy. Happy is Those whose way is blameless, who walk in the way of the Lord, in the law of the Lord, rather. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. The psalmist, the person who wrote this, believed wholeheartedly, that obedience to God's word was a source of blessing, that you were happy, that you were blessed if you lived it. He knew it was God's word, he knew it was good, and so he has no problem then going to verse four where he says, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. He has no problem recounting the fact that God commands his precepts to be kept diligently. And when you discover that living under God's authority is actually good, is actually the best way to live, that it's actually the most blessed thing, then you will have no problem living under his authority or understanding he commands you to obey it. You'll be like, he actually is commanding the thing that brings the greatest blessing in our life. Sure, that's good. I understand that. He is commanding your happiness, in essence. And of course, he's talking about his plans for that. This week, I was considering the question, does God want me to be happy You know, a lot of people think God wants to be happy. And it's true. He actually does want you to be happy according to his plans. Now, most people today, when they say, God wants me to be happy, dot, 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 fill in the rest with, so I'm going to do whatever makes me happy according to my plans. And usually, that's not God's plans. It's an excuse for them to disobey God's word. That's not the way it is to be. That's not his desire for you. But the response is also not to say, and I think I've said this before, something that sounds like a nice quip. It's like, well, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Uh, Sort of. He wants you to be happy by being holy. He wants to be joyful, delighting in holiness. That's his pathway to the greatest human flourishing satisfaction and joy ever. He cares about your joy and happiness. He wants you to delight, but not to delight in sin, to delight in his word. He cares about how you get there for sure, but he actually cares that you get to delight. God's not glorified by a bunch of people sitting around living holy lives and hating every minute of it. That's not glorifying to him. As a dad, you know, I could take my child out for for ice cream and... I want them to have joy in doing that. I don't want them to have joy by being a disobedient brat, right? I want them to have joy by, well, behaving politely to the waitstaff and by enjoying my company. But I don't want them to be obeying all the rules and hating every minute of our time together. That brings me no joy. Similarly, my wife, you know, we like to spend time together, or she wants some of my time, let's say, but she wants some of my time and me to enjoy it, not just to give her my time. Similarly, guys, with God, he wants our joy, but he wants our joy found in him and in obedience to his rules. So yes, he does want you to be happy according to his plan. And some of you need to hear that. And I'm, I'm looking for those that aren't smiling right now because the Christian life isn't A sour face, long face. That's that's not more spiritual. You're not more spiritual when you're, you're sad. You're more spiritual when you have joy in the Lord. Of course, that doesn't mean you're smiling every single moment of every single day. There's some tough things that happen. But Jesus came that we may have life and have life abundantly. God wants us to trust his plan for our joy. And that often includes going against our desires. You know the thought. In scripture of when you lose your life, then you'll gain it. That kind of thing. And I want to I park on this for a moment because before we talk about the blessings that God gives, it's important to understand why those blessings are there. Human beings are short-sighted. They're easily deceived. And so they think the path to true blessing is to just pursue what we want selfishly. The path to true blessing and happiness is found when we take ourselves off the throne We realize God is to be on the throne. He is the one we live for and glorify. And we love and serve others. That's the recipe that Scripture gives over and over and over again through the Old Testament law, through the prophets, through the New Testament, through Jesus' statements. Summarized nicely in his statements in Matthew 22 where he tells us the greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God and to love others. That is the pathway to blessing, to happiness. The interesting thing about blessings Of living biblically is when you pursue the blessing itself, your own way, you don't get it. Okay, when you pursue happiness as an end in itself, you don't get happiness. When you pursue the other blessings we're going to look at, as an end in themselves, you won't get them. You won't get them. Psalm 119, it's going to list three blessings, but we have to understand why these blessings are listed there. They're not listed there to be a dangling carrot in front of you that you pursue the blessings as an end in themselves. Asking the question just simply, why do you obey God? Why do you obey the commandments of Scripture? Some people obey the commandments of Scripture because they want to earn favor with God, merit, and they think that this is the pathway to do it. But you're not going to impress him enough to outweigh your offenses against him. All of us have sinned against God, and those sins are a stench in his nostrils that is way overpowering anything you think is something good that you can offer him. The only way to be made right, to be made right with God, and to gain merit and standing is to realize you don't have any. Christ has it. He sacrificed his life for you to pay for your sins. And when you surrender your life to him, then you get the merit of Christ given to you as a gift that's free. That's the only way to find merit. But some others obey Christ or obey his word just out of fear of consequences. One theologian put it this way. He's like, it's like a runner that runs every day because, well, my dad had a heart attack at 53, and I don't want to have a heart attack at 53, so I run every day. Or another, another runner runs every day because then they can eat whatever junk food they want. They run because of the benefits, right? And neither is, a, is the, the true reason. It's like the difference would be a runner who runs for the sake of running, that loves it. Who So take this to the, the obedience to God's word comparison. Do you obey God's word just so you don't go to hell? Do you obey God's word just so you go to heaven? Or do you obey God's word because you delight in God himself? You actually love him so much and you love everything about his word. You love obedience to his word, as much as it grates against our flesh, when you lock onto it, you're like, it's beautiful. It's good. I delight in it. That's, that's what we're going for, okay? That's what we're going for because I don't want, as I said, this message about the blessings of scripture to become a carrot that's dangled in front of you, that you go and read your Bible this week only for the blessing so that you get the blessing and then you can ditch the Bible, <laughs> okay? The Bible, reading the Bible, meditating on the word is a, is a gift in and of itself, our obedience to the word is not a way to manipulate the blessings of God for our advantage, for our advantage. It's actually, better thought of as our obedience to God and his commandments is an investment because we love God and we actually want more of him. We want more of his word. The psalmist says this in verse seventeen. Then we're gonna get into some of the benefits, okay? But he says this Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. I don't know if you caught that, but he's asking. He's crying out. It's one of those 75 prayer requests I mentioned last week. He's crying out, deal bountifully. I I want your blessing, Lord. But why does he want his blessing? So that he can live and keep the word. His whole goal of requesting blessing is not to selfishly enjoy it, but so that he can live even more in conformity to God's word, so that he can live more for God's glory. So, I'm going to list these blessings in a few minutes, but don't chase the blessing in and of itself. The blessing is a secondary thing. The primary thing is we pursue God and delight in Him. Don't miss the God behind the blessing. So, recap real quickly this first little part so you're all on the same page. God receives glory when you are happy in obedience to Him. The obedience results in blessings that further position you to delight in obedience to God, all for the glory of God, all because you love God. So now we're going to look at the blessings. Okay, so Psalm 119, one of the blessings is we are blessed because the word gives us life. It gives us life. As a child, I sang a hymn that went along the lines of, sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see wonderful words of life. The connection in my mind was formed really early God's word, life. God's word equals life. And that's what the psalmist gives over and over in verse after verse. So we're going to survey a few of those. Verse 25, he says, My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. He repeats that call in verse 37. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. And in verse 50, he says, your promise gives me life. Perhaps most clear verse of all, though, is verse 93. He says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. God's word gives life. And that connection was very strong in the mind of an Israelite reading or singing this song. It's very strong in the connection in the mind of anybody that is taken the time to read through scripture, God's word brings life. They knew it was the word of God that brought life into existence in the first place. God spoke, and it was. They knew that. And even without the language of the New Testament, this was said by Jesus later, but they knew already then that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Near the end of Deuteronomy, Moses is laying out the covenant stipulations for the the people of Israel and God and how this, this agreement between them is going to work. And he lays it out very clearly and to summarize, he essentially says, I'm laying before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. If you want the life, it's in obedience to the word of God. It's in the word of God. If you deny God, you reject him, push him out, then there's death. And that covenant obviously was talking in part about physical death. When the nation of Israel rejected God and they went into battle, they lost every time. People died, physically died. But spiritually, the same is true. If we live according to the laws of God, we have life. The challenge is nobody here can live according to the laws of God perfectly. And so therefore, we have death, not life. And that is why Paul speaks in Romans of the law, which was meant to be life bringing, it actually brings death. Not because the law of God is bad, but because we are bad. And the perfect living and active word of God exposes the sin and death in our lives. So that which was meant to bring life because of our sin exposes death. We are incapable of that. Because of our sin, the word before it can bring life, it has to expose death. And this is where a lot of people get uncomfortable because they don't like to read the word, the Bible, and see conviction, see their own sin. The Bible's been described as a mirror. You look at it and you see yourself accurately, but you don't like what you see. So a lot of people just don't read it because then they don't have to see it. But the cancer's not going away. It's like a cancer, you don't see but it's not going away. And it's more deadly. Your sin is more deadly than cancer because it doesn't kill you just physically. It kills you spiritually. Our sin is, it's far worse. The biblical solution though is we read the word. It exposes our sin. We see the law of God. It exposes our sin. It highlights how incapable we are of obedience to God. We confess it to him. And then we find life in the true word, Jesus Christ, the God-man who perfectly obeyed all of God's law and who then brings us life perfectly when we place faith in him. So that's the recipe. The recipe is here's the word, it's good, it's life-bringing, but because of your sin, it actually exposes your death. Jesus fulfilled the law and he offers as a free gift life, the true word, giving life. Now, the best part is when Jesus saves you, Now you can take the law, that which exposed the death, and you can actually see life again. And you can see how good it is. You can see how God has designed it for us to live according to. There's treasure then on every page. The access to the treasure, to access the treasure, you always have to come to the cross first, but there's treasure on every page. And as an important side note, physically speaking, your life will be better longer, generally speaking, when you live according to God's law. In the Old Covenant, it said, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, because then your life will be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you obey your parents, this is repeated in the New Testament as well, when you obey your parents, a simple way to put God's law into practice, generally speaking, your life will be longer. It's true. Generally speaking, when you deny God, when you push him away, your life will be shorter. This happens in places like 1 Corinthians 11. The people of God were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner and some people died as a result. Physical death. Acts 5, we read and we heard about from Pastor Aaron several weeks ago. People lied and they died. So just generally speaking, on a physical level, obedience to God's word brings life. But in a spiritual spiritual way, the word brings life. So we are blessed because the word brings life. The true word, Jesus Christ, is the ultimate one who brings life. We are also blessed, though, because the word gives us understanding. This is the next thing. We we live in a confused world, a world where up is down, down is up, left is right, right is left. And I think it was the words of Francis Schaeffer who said of moral relativists, those people who make Statements, but they have no foundation. He said, they're like people with their feet firmly planted in midair. They have zero stability. And it's stuck, to, it's just stuck with me because it's so true. And it also reminds me of where we would be without the authority of God's word, without the foundational truth of his word. Psalm 100 and f- or 119, verse 105 says this, and this is a very a very well-known verse, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's such a, such a good picture of how God's word illuminates our thinking. It changes, it helps us to see what's going on, to make sense of the world around us. When I was a, a kid, our, our sibling, my siblings and I would uh, take our stairwell to the basement and we would pile chairs and cushions and toys in the stairwell until it was like completely, well, pretty full. And then we'd turn off the lights and the game was to see if you could make it down the stairwell, which was kind of an awful game as a parent thinking about, first of all, injuries and damage to the wall. But man, when you turn on the lights, it feels some days like our world is like that. It's that chaotic. And when you wake up in the morning, you've probably felt this, the moments, the mornings when you wake up and you don't, Read God's word. When you don't start your day with a a Christian way of thinking, your day becomes utterly chaotic and you stumble over things. You have no understanding. Verse 130 says, The unfolding of your word gives light. I like to think of that as preaching. The unfolding of your word, when we unfold, it brings light. And this is what happens it imparts understanding to the simple. We're simple. Please, realize we're all simple-minded people. We're not very sophisticated. We're simple-minded people that need the truth of God's word. God's word gives you insight and understanding into our world. Another well-known writer said it this way. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Ah, he's speaking of a Christian worldview. When you understand who God is and what his word says, the world starts to make sense. Some of you have seen this more recently in your life because you've become a Christian and you've you've kind of had the, the light switch turned on and you know what that's like. Finally, the world makes sense. You can see what your purpose in life is. You can see why pain exists and what the reason for pain can be. You can understand your future and you can see your next step. Now, the blessing and understanding, the blessing of understanding and wisdom that the Bible gives is just going to become more evident as the world continues to become crazier and crazier. It's going to become a brighter light. It's 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 never changed in brightness, but it becomes a, a lot more appreciated the darker the world becomes. The further the truth is removed. And the further that we get from God's word and our mind as our culture gets from God's word and becomes kind of mushy thinking. So if you look around, you might say, yeah, things are getting darker and darker, (laughs) dumber and dumber, right? But before you look at it and mock it, just remember that's you subtracted from God's word. If God's word is not in your life, you will quickly become just as stupid, just as dumb. It's by the grace of God that we have his truth. Absolutely, there's people that are in blatant, open rebellion against God like we were. They're in blatant, open rebellion against God. But the sad thing, I don't know about you, the sad thing for me is there's a whole generation of people that are growing up with less and less truth in their life, that are taught from the cradle, literally left is right and right is left. They have zero foundation and they're taught taught even that truth is a poison to avoid at all costs. That's something that should grieve us. The people of Nineveh were described as people that didn't know their right hand from their left. Not likely referring to just children, but likely referring to people that have zero moral foundation. They don't understand truth and error. That should break our hearts and grieve us and give us a desire just to share God's truth with other people. You don't have to be a a, a scholar in Greek to know that male and female God created them, Genesis 1. It it says it there. You don't have to know a whole lot to be able to share basic fundamental truths with people to see the light that God's word brings. Psalm 119, verse 98 to 100 also say, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. It shouldn't surprise Christians that are devoted to God's word when they start to outlap or outrun or outthink people that are supposed to be wiser than you. Society says the aged, and and scripturally, the aged should be wiser. But if they've abandoned and rejected God's truth, you will quickly outthink them by God's blessing and grace in your life. But don't get cocky about that. They'll be like, well, I'm so smart, because you're not smart. It's the word. It's the word that brings light in your life. And also remember, in our world, unbelievers want to be recognized as the sages, as the wise people too. When they get on their Zoom calls, they put the big book library behind them as well, trying to make them look really knowledgeable. That idea of, I want to be presented as the one with knowledge, because knowledge is power. Knowledge can be used For your advantage. Christians don't think like that. Christians don't take knowledge and the understanding that God has given them and use it to puff themselves up. Christians do the opposite. We use it to bless other people and to glorify God. We use it to serve other people. That's what it's meant to do: to be used to serve others. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 2, he says he Paul was an expert in God's law. He he had the ability to turn it on, so to speak, in terms of preaching with power and persuasion and using human manipulative tactics. He could do that, but this is what he says. He says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He's like, we're refusing the world's way where they use truth, to get something, we are presenting the truth. We are heralding the truth. We're trying to draw your attention to the word so that when you walk out of here, you're impressed with God's word. That you're like, God's word is a word like no other. And we aren't to use it improperly. When God turned the lights on in your life, so to speak, he didn't intend for you to sin more skillfully. Now you can see the dangers to avoid and you're like, ah, now I've, I've figured out the path. He did not do it for that There's treasure on every page, but not to be used selfishly. It's a word that brings life. It's a word that brings understanding. And finally, the third blessing, it's a word that also brings stability. We are blessed because the word gives us stability. Remember, we don't seek these things apart from obedience to God's word. We're not looking for a stable life our own way. We're not looking for understanding our own way or even life our own way. These are blessings. Psalm 119 verses 165. It says, "Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble." Peace and no stumbling. I want that. I don't know about you. I want that. Verse 45. I know I'm making you flip around a lot. Just you can write these down. Verse 45 says, "I shall walk in a wide place." The idea being, not a place of stumbling for I have sought your precepts. Stability is a good thing. Now, apparently, I'm not always the most stable. A few weeks ago, I think it was, I was walking in the hallway uh, by my office, and I almost tripped because I think I shuffle my feet. But I, I'm convinced the floor actually raises just a little bit. But you've had those moments where you're just like, you're like walking along and then all of a sudden you stumble or you're like the person that climbs up the stairs and there's another step, and then you... You launch yourself in, and it looks, you look awful. You look shameful. And I'm sure the security cameras pick up my stumbling around the hallways at the church. But sadly, we stumble in so many more serious ways when we get off of God's Word. So people, take for instance lying. When you, when you lie, you create a nightmare for yourself. Because you now have to remember who you lied to, how the story goes, and then create this whole second world that works consistently with that lie. And if you've ever lied, you have found very quickly, likely, it's so damaging. It's, so, it's 10 times harder to, to lie than it is to tell the truth. Even though in the moment it feels harder to tell the truth. That's an example of when you walk according to God's law, you're not going to stumble. And you're not going to stumble 10 years from now because you haven't set up stumbling blocks for yourself 10 years from now. You're going to be at peace because you know I'm right with God. I've lived according to his ways. How about you take finances for another example? So much instability in finances is caused by just rejection of God's wisdom and word. We've had a finance class, and uh, I think many of you have been blessed and benefited from that. But the line that I've heard over and over again, you know, the instability of uh, finances comes from buying things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. (laughs) Totally. It causes instability. Living paycheck to paycheck happens so quickly, or living in, in excessive debt happens so quickly because we just reject God's word, his ways. And so we lose stability. Stability comes in life when you live according to God's word. Now, the world can throw instability at you, but we know we're right with God. Knowing God's word though is not enough, not knowing it only, you have to also live it. So look at verses five and six, right at the beginning of Psalm 119. It says, oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. He's obeying your decrees. He's not just, not just considering, he's obeying them then his way is steadfast and he would not be put to shame. The idea of shame there is not just like a personal reflection of thinking, "Uh, I feel upset with myself. It's like a public shame. You will not be put to shame publicly, like a public disgrace. Think of somebody who's lost in battle and now they're being paraded through the enemy town and taunted, like you lost, you lost. Or think of somebody that's maybe done something really, really dumb. They've embezzled or they've they've been a scammer and then their name and picture gets posted in the front page news and they're brought to shame because of the, the stupid stuff that they did when we walk according to God's law we're not going to be put to shame now your your name might show up in the newspaper but for righteousness sake right it's going to show up for the right reasons the world's going to try to shame you but we know in the end when Christ comes things are going to be sorted out, we will be vindicated and we will be able to stand without shame. Those that walked according to the Lord's word will be very glad they did on that day. But for a moment, we need to just consider our past because some of us have shame in our past before we became a Christian or even as a Christian, things we did when we were walking not according to God's way. And so we have this this shame to deal with. And what about that? Well, my urge... My, my, my uh, uh, petition to you, my, I urge you, I should say, is that you would just hand that over to God and experience his forgiveness because Satan loves to shake you with your shame. He loves to silence you because of shame. Scripture says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the word of God saying there is no condemnation. And so there is no condemnation for you, you did dumb things. We've all done dumb things. We all have. And you may, you may look at the person next to you and say, yeah, but my things were way more shameful. Like, we can't even mention it shameful. That actually provides you, in some ways, a, a greater opportunity to big highlighter on God's grace and his mercy and forgiveness. Because there's somebody else sitting here that thinks, my shame, it's it's too much. And yet, God can forgive you. And so when you speak about that shame, when you speak about what has happened, and speak about God's forgiveness, you don't want to glory in your shame. We don't have to be ashamed of it anymore. That's not who I am, that's who I was. I'm a new creation in Christ. So, In a sense, don't hide your past. Don't hide your past, how you lied, cheated, stole, mismanaged, were proud, angry, lustful, hopeless. We don't glory in those things, but we draw a big highlighter over them and say, but God, God's grace and His mercy, it's more than all of our sin. Last week, I was so encouraged when someone came up to me after the service and shared how Psalm 119 was a passage in their life that God used to to heal them from a very, very dark place. And that was so encouraging to me to see how the Word of God, how God's mercy was evident in that person's life. So there's treasure on every single page of Scripture. There's life, there's understanding, there's stability. We are blessed when we live according to it. But this is where we're going to end what happens when you don't feel any of the rewards when you don't sense any of the rewards what happens when your life is threatened with sickness or death what happens when your mind is foggy when your when your world seems turned upside down your friends are abandoning you what then Well, last week I challenged you all to read Psalm 119 or at least to read scripture every single day. And I hope you did. And if you read Psalm 119, I hope you saw this. This is probably my favorite feature of Psalm 119. It's in verse 23 it starts. It says, even though princes sit plotting against me, which isn't a good thing, Okay, Prince is plotting against you. And I actually want to take you through a few verses like this. Verse 23, verse 51. The insolent utterly deride me. That also doesn't sound good. Verse 61. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me. Verse 69. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies. Verse 87. They almost wiped me from the earth. Verse 95, the wicked are waiting to destroy me. That part isn't my favorite, <laughs> but, it is, but it is awesome that it's real. It's not, it's not some rose-colored, life is idyllic, it's amazing kind of psalm. It is a true psalm. It's real to life. This is some of the things he experienced. But get this, each one of those verses has a second part to it, and we're going to read those. So 23 started, even though princes sit plotting against me, concludes, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Verse 51, the insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn from your law. 61, though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I will not forget your law. 69, though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Verse 95, the wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. I just love this. Life is awful, awful, awful. But what's he do? He doesn't focus on the issue of life. He goes back to God's word. There's seven more times this happens. I think there's like, 13 or 14 times in Psalm 119, it happens. It's just like the worst of the worst, but I'm going back to your word. 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 This is for us, church. We keep reading and applying God's word no matter the circumstances. We have a great example set for us in this psalm. When the heat gets turned up, the intensity with which we go back to God's word turns up. That's the way it's meant to be. And sometimes God actually allows the affliction for that very purpose, to kind of wake us up. Verse 67, it captures it perfectly. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. Before I had this trouble, I was doing my own thing. And then you woke me up. And now I'm in your word and I delight in it. And I'm going to stay in it. I'm going to go to it. Some of you know exactly what this is like because it's part of your story. Before the affliction, before the hardship, you are going astray. God woke you up and now you delight in his word. Some of you, though, the tough days are coming because we live in a messed up world with sin. What I urge you to decide now, to decide before the moment of affliction comes, before the bad news, before the punch to your gut, so to speak, is to choose today that in that moment, you are going to turn to the word of God. That's where you're going to turn, not just for a moment, but daily. The moment of affliction, the moment life gets hard, you're gonna go back to God's word. I've seen so many who do well until the moment of affliction. And then they turn their eyes to worthless things and they are lost. So in the moment... Of your affliction, turn to the word. The word of God is a word like no other. It's a word that in keeping it, there's great reward. But better than the blessing of just having life, just having understanding, just having a little bit of stability, you get real life. John 17 tells us real life, eternal life, is to know the Father. And how do you know the Father? Through what he said. And so we go back to the word over and over again. And let's pray to that end, church.